Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. And today I've got a special treat for you, which is a sneak preview of a recent mastermind Q&A conversation that I had with the members of my Optimizer Coaching and Mentorship Program, in which we spoke with fellow community member, Michael Addis. Michael is a man who wears many successful hats as an editor, a writer, a director, and even a showrunner. Now, if you've ever enjoyed shows such as Impractical Jokers or projects that have actors such as Jamie Kennedy or Tom Green, there's a pretty good chance you've come into contact with Michael's work. Some of his recent credits include Assembly Required, Are You Kidding Me?, Famous Food Truck, and Chopped You. In this Mastermind Q&A with my Optimizer coaching students, Michael shares how he has built a wide and varied career, having so many different creative roles, and that he calls himself, thanks partly because of Tim Ferriss, a quote-unquote specialized generalist, which essentially means that he has developed a massive toolbox of skills to be as involved as possible in every aspect of the creative process, but ultimately he is great at one specific craft above all others. In this conversation, Michael and I dive into the specifics of the differences between working in scripted and unscripted television, how saying no leads to your dream career faster than often saying yes might, and how focus is the number one skill that will lead to your success in the 21st century. Now, if you are somebody who's looking to amplify your skill sets in an effort to either change or dramatically advance your creative career, you are going to love this sneak preview of our Mastermind Q&A. And if you're thinking after listening that you would really love to attend one of these future calls and be able to ask questions and start your own conversations, I invite you to visit optimizeyourself.me slash optimizer to learn more about how to enroll in the Optimizer program. All right, without further ado, the sneak preview of my Mastermind Q&A conversation with specialized generalist, editor, writer, and showrunner Michael Addis and my Optimizer coaching and mentorship community. 
I am here today with Michael Addis, who is a showrunner, director, and editor who specializes in comedic social experiments and hidden camera prank shows. You want to talk about getting specific, that, my friend, is a specific genre. He is the director, showrunner of Impractical Jokers. He directed the feature Doc Heckler with Jamie Kennedy, and he has directed and edited dozens of other unscripted commercials, TV shows, and features. And he is a member of both the DGA and the Editors Guild. And today's general topic of conversation, of which we can veer in different directions if we'd like, but in general, we are going to be discussing the topic today on our Optimizer Mastermind Q&A, how to leverage your editing skills for any format or genre. Michael, sir, you are a very, very busy guy, and the fact that you're taking this time to share your expertise and your advice and your ideas with the Optimizer community means the world to me, so thank you, sir, for being here. Thank you for having me, and I, I'm looking forward to one-on-one -on -one discussions with people and, and questions because I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot too. Uh, well, you've been a longtime member of this community who provided a lot of value, both with your questions and with your answers to questions. And a lot of people just, they don't see how just asking a question can provide value, Ugh, um, but yeah. it really is, is able to, to start discussions and help people see their own blind spots as well and take some vulnerability to get on a Zoom call and say, hi, everybody, I don't know how to do this thing, right? Yeah, uh, and yeah. you've been no stranger to doing that over and over and over and uh, I appreciate that and now you get to be on the flip side where you get to be the center of attention. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope I can provide value. Ah, I have no doubt you will be able to. Uh, so on that yeah. note, the easiest place to get started just to give people a little bit more background and set the stage. Obviously in the introduction I kind of gave, here's the, the the two sentence pitch about Michael's background. But give us a little bit deeper version about how you came to be somebody that you consider a specialized generalist, which is a term that kind of sort of comes from Tim Ferris and your editing and your show running and you do all these different genres. Just kind of, you know, paint the picture of what this path looked like to get where you are now. Um, well, I would say that I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. I've always been a filmmaker. And uh, a friend of mine wrote a book recently where he says, editors are filmmakers. And you just have to be thinking in terms of, am I creating some kind of genre of entertainment that's going to... Uh, affect people, that's going to excite people. And so I think I just kind of started getting lucky with unscripted comedy. I gravitated towards comedy, but, and, I, and I've, I've written 19 feature screenplays. I've made a feature uh, called Poor White Trash, but that just wasn't the direction of my, the specific direction of my career. It seemed to be when I did unscripted documentaries or improv-related comedies, those did better. So a lot of times you, your career sort of goes in that direction of A, what you enjoy and B, what you seem to have some success with, right? So you didn't, within the first two minutes of our conversation, use the word lucky, did you? You didn't consider yourself lucky. You know how I feel about the L word. And by the well, way, yeah, well, you and I may not agree on that, but um, I was going to say we might not agree on that. And we the might funny not thing agree is, on that. Even though well, nobody here has heard this conversation yet, I talked about this at length with the person I just interviewed yesterday and the concept of luck. So I'm not saying that my views are not malleable. We, we, we came to a point where we agreed to disagree with different verbiage. Um, but explain to me in your best argument why you feel that where you got in your path was because of luck. Okay. Uh, so Nassim Taleb discusses how uh, we have possibly 50% luck in our life and 50% skill, right? Like there are certain aspects that we cannot control. And the things that we cannot control, uh, we can call luck. So I, uh, I'm not a very metaphysical guy, but I do believe that 
half of my success has been like very hard work and 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 focus and 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 doing the work uh, doing the things i need to do to succeed and then there have been times where i'm like wow i how did i happen to get the meeting to run impractical jokers like there's a little bit of luck there right so I don't know if it's 50%, but that, but I, I wouldn't think that's a, that Nassim Taleb is an idiot. So I'll yeah, of course, I, I would totally agree with that. And I'm certainly not saying that I'm right and everybody else is wrong. I just right. have my own viewpoint. But the funny yeah. thing is the response that I got from this person. And again, everybody will be able to hear this eventually. And by the time this mastermind Q&A is out, this, this interview will probably already exist. And it's with Stephen Sashin, who is the CEO of the company Zero Shoes. And we talked about the idea of luck. And his response was, I believe that 90% of all success is luck and the wow. other 10% is also luck. That was his response. <laughs> so he has a very, no, very you interesting can do nothing, sense of humor. You just sit around and hopefully get lucky. Yeah, so essentially he takes no modicum of control for anything, including, well, I got an idea in my head, but is it right. really my own idea and did I create it or did it just pop up? So it was lucky that that idea popped up in my head. So that's the extreme version. Wow. Uh, I'm almost as extreme on the other end. And what I had said to him was that I am lucky that I was born white and male in the United States of America. That was lucky because, man, like it could have been a lot worse for me, especially given present times, which we're not going to get into because that's a whole other ball of wax. That was lucky. There are certain circumstances that for which, like you said, are totally not within our control at all. If things happen to go your way or not go your way, that's good luck and bad luck. I totally agree with that. So I'm not saying luck doesn't exist. However, what I feel is that a lot of people ascribe luck to people's successes when they don't really dig in and understand it was more about choices and having more control over the outcome than we might think. So it's not me saying luck doesn't exist. Right. I just feel that the percentage of which we think success happens because of luck is less. If you really dig in, it has to do a lot with choices and being prepared for circumstances that came up that were beyond your control. Right. But when something is beyond your control, you don't have to worry about it. You ignore it. So every day I wake up and I think, how can I make the best life I can with the non-luck part, right? And I'm doing it and, and I'm constantly learning things. I'm starting a show Tuesday. And on that show I start, it's, um, I, I got episode one, <clears throat> 101 and I know the format of the show. And so now I'm just going to try to make the best show knowing the format and studying the format, which I learned from you. Uh, so all of that having been said, what I'd like to know a little bit more about is it sounds like if, if I were to look at your resume... Let's take the the titles off for a second. Editor, showrunner, et cetera. If I were yeah, to yeah. just look at the list of shows, uh -huh. I think it would be relatively easy for me to say, oh, well, you got pigeonholed in improvisational comedy. But what it sounds yeah. like is that was very conscious and very much a choice. Would you say that's accurate? It is very much a choice because as I started working on it, I started saying, this is a lot of fun. I really enjoy this. And, and to me, it's like, I, I remember I had a meeting with MTV and they said, what do you like most about unscripted comedy? And I said, the writing. It's, it's, it's a lot of writing. It's like you're constantly writing and creating. And the fun thing, I think, for people on this call who may have an inkling of an interest in this um, is the writers are writing, the director is writing, the camera operators are writing, and the editor especially is writing. So you're getting hundreds of hours of footage and you're constantly writing in the bay. And that's, that's fun, you know, so but that's unscripted. 
Let me ask a question that maybe I, maybe the, the ones that are listening now might not have it because I think we have a lot of uh, pretty seasoned vets here. But if sure. I were to step backwards for a second with a little bit more outside perspective, uh-huh. I'm really confused right now because didn't you just say the best thing about unscripted is writing? And it seems yeah. to me unscripted means no script and it's just reality, isn't it? So I right. don't get how writing could be your favorite part. Exactly. That That's the absurdity of life right there. When you work, and I know a lot of people uh, uh, in your program talk about going to scripted or they get excited about scripted shows. And to me, it's like, that's a script. You have a script that's been approved. What we do is we create bullet points and outlines and we create these things that aren't technically scripts, but there's an enormous amount of writing and, and, and creating on the page. And then we go out in the field and do it, or we amend it in, uh, in post. But, uh, but but yeah, there's a lot of it's 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 kind of like when uh, comedians talk about writing. Sometimes they're writing on stage, or when people are writing music, sometimes they're just jamming. So it, the word writing is very it, it's a very nebulous uh, expression. But to me, it's like the creation of premises and ideas is something you do from start to finish in unscripted, and I love it. And the, the best part about it. Uh, is you don't have to deal with as many network meddling notes before you shoot. You're, there is no script. So you're kind of, you don't have to have every word approved by a, a, a really good coffee getter. Something tells me though, that it probably doesn't reduce the amount of notes after you're an editorial though. No, I bet you still get notes, don't you? Still save But I don't get it. It's reality. How can you get notes? I know. And the, and the notes are oftentimes like, this is how we want the reality changed. Hold on a second. You're changing <laughs> the reality. Change reality. They after do it's that occurred. in television. What? Absolutely <sighs> mind blown. No idea. I just assumed what I was looking at was, you know, that's exactly the way that it was. And there's no subjectivity introduced. But there are bits of reality that cannot be changed in post and they still want those changed. So, yeah, this is uh, the biggest part of our job or my job, at least, is wrapping your head around uh, notes. So one conversation that you and I had a long time ago, you may or may not remember it, it was just one of those random five minute asides during an office hours, is we had talked about working unscripted versus scripted. And you are, I would say, maybe not maybe not one of the few, um, but there are certainly less people statistically that are interested in working unscripted than scripted. And the vast majority of people you talk to that are in editorial, they probably work in unscripted just because the numbers are such that there are larger teams, more people, more shows. So mathematically, more people work in unscripted than scripted. The vast majority want to work in scripted. And you were just like, no, why would I want to do that? So talk to me about what it is about unscripted that's so much more interesting than scripted and why it's not even remotely a possibility for you. Well, let me go back to that conversation because I do remember it and I said something uh, punk rock and snarky. And you're like, Whoa. Cause I said, uh, basically scripted is like paint by numbers. <laughs> so, so script, we, script. we were going to get to that point in a second. I was going to warm <laughs> you, up. You do remember that. Okay. So to me, scripted is to some extent, and I know you don't do this exactly in, in your work, uh, but you take the script and you basically get the best takes and you try to line them up and you, and you try to create something that aligns very, very closely to a script. Uh, to me, I'm trying to just align with something that works and it may be very different from the script. 
I did a documentary called A Heckler and it was comedic. And I went in and I would do an interview, for example, and I would ask the person a bunch of questions. But at the end of the day, it's a it's at least a half hour interview and it's a two or three minute segment. So what's the crux of the segment? Uh, in this case, uh, for the example I want to give, it's um, I was interviewing the head of a uh, website called amiannoying.com. They had an algorithm or something where they were saying, this is, these are the annoying points or this are, these are the points of somebody and why they're annoying. And it was on Howard Stern. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but my angle in the edit bay was, because I asked him a few questions in this regard, was if everybody has some level of annoying, what's annoying about Martin Luther King Jr. or Jesus or Gandhi? And he had an answer. And it was really funny, you know, what was annoying about, about, I think what was annoying about Jesus was he was, he always seemed like he was acting a little smarter than everybody else. And that could be <laughs> annoying. And Gandhi was, was, you know, he goes, he's a vegetarian. Those people are always annoying. So, you know, it was, so that became the bit. And then I cut that. And then, so I was creating it in the Bay and it was just, there was the segment worked funny. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. So I don't want to veer off too far into a tangent, uh, just to make sure that I, uh, you know, put my, my name in the ring again. Vehemently disagree with the idea that scripted is paint by numbers. Of but course. The I'm argument, just an asshole. <laughs> right, but the well, I and, and I guess that and I guess the very quick response to that would be how much scripted have you actually done to come to that conclusion? Well, I wrote uh 19 screenplays and made uh one one of them we made. 
So I had my own script and I uh, edited th that as, a, uh, as an example. But also my first editing job ever, weirdly enough, well, no, actually my first editing job was I was doing a lot of industrials. But then my first professional editing job was editing a feature, this low budget feature with Corbin Burnson and uh, Hillary Swank, yeah. And um, which was fun because I remember I ran into her on a bus in uh, uh, Sundance. And I went up to her and said, I just have been staring at you for the last three months. <laughs> and she's like, what? I go, I'm the editor of your... Uh, oh, wait, movie. maybe I should give you context first yeah, before you call the police, right? The Hold on a second. Line. Right. I think so all, editor, all editors have made that mistake. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I have edited, I have edited, edited scripted. I've never edited script. No, I have edited scripted TV. But I think what excites me about unscripted is that... It's it's there's it's dangerous. There's there's a danger to going out and doing it, and and then it, there's a danger of will it work in the edit bay. To me, it's like I think like with your show, you can't it up too much in in regard to it's great writers, it's great actors, it's I mean what you do as an editor is brilliant for sure, but. To me, it's like sometimes you get footage and you're like, how do I make anything of this? It's kind well, of, I, and exciting. I think that's the part of coming at it with not a, I, I would say not a, a plethora of scripted that's experience. Scripts, yeah, right. That's exactly the experience of a scripted editor is I would say seven times out of 10, how in the hell am I going to make this work at all? That's kind of our jobs. The, what I would say the difference is we have very different problems in scripted than the problems you have in unscripted. Right. 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 We already know who the characters are in the scene. I don't have 27 cameras on a living room where right. I'm just looking at everybody Big Brother style. Well, who's the character of this scene? That's where I, we're getting into this idea of where you have to do a lot of writing. Well, let's figure out who are the characters. Who do we focus on? Who do we cut out? And granted, the writers in scripted are probably doing a fair amount of that. Yep. So there's more nuance, but it's still the same thing. So for me, it's not who are the characters that's in the scene. It's, well, there's clearly four characters in the scene sitting around a table, and I have an equal amount of coverage with all of them. Now it's my job via nuance mm -hmm. to be able to paint the picture that emotionally this song, the scene belongs to this specific person. And here, here's how that, uh, that works in the bigger picture. And what I have seen over and over again, and I want to make it very clear that I'm not um, pigeonholing or making assumptions about people in general, but I have seen with specific people, and I could name names, and of course I won't, but very specific instances where people come from unscripted at a very high level that are very good at it, mm -hmm. and they couldn't cut a scripted scene to save their life because it's a totally different skill set. So when people say, well, I'm an editor and a storyteller and I should be able to do anything, I say that's absolutely true, but it's not automatically assumed that you can do it today. So oh, for that's, somebody that's to say, so true. well, you know, yeah. you're a trailer editor, you couldn't do long form. Well, that's that's not true, but it might be true right now because again, I've I've I can, and again, not going to name names, but Oscar nominated editor. If I said the name, everybody would know who it is. Top of the A list. I uh, was uh, brought in to consult with this person years ago because they were asked to cut like a five minute. It was like a reel for cans or something like that. They didn't have any budget to go to a trailer house. Mm -hmm. And they brought me in because I have trailer experience. Right. And the picture editor cut it. It was unusable. I mean, it was like an unwatchable trailer. And you look at the name and you're like, how could they not make an amazing trailer? Because yeah. it's a right. totally different medium and type of storytelling. Doesn't mean we're not capable of it, but they are different skill sets. Yeah, and I, I think I, I was I was trying to learn. Uh, I was taking an avid class recently because I wanted to just up my game and we had to cut a scripted scene. 
And I was like, this is harder than I th- remember. Like it was harder very- than paint by numbers, right? I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> no, um, yes, very, very hard and so- not. The, the reason I bring all this up, I don't want to belabor it and, you know, turn it into a, a lengthy debate because I'm sure we both have, uh, you know, uh, great points on both sides. But it's more about this idea of what is a specialized generalist and doesn't mean I can just do everything, doesn't mean I can just do a few different things. And I do believe you can be a great unscripted editor and a scripted editor and a writer and you can be a children's author of which you've written like a, a great you know book to, to read your kids at bed at night. You've been a showrunner. I think you can be great at all of those things. I just don't think that being great at one automatically means you're going to be great at another without a lot of concerted effort to develop that skill. So let's talk a little yeah. bit more about how you can be an author of books and a writer of unscripted scenes and an editor of unscripted scenes and an editor of scripted scenes and a showrunner that's managing teams and location managers and all this other stuff. How do you blend all of these together and how do you get good at all of them? It takes a long time, but I think that the problems always are, how do I get my next job? And how do I get the next job? And so I think it really comes down to creating a big enough resume. And now I have a resume on both sides, you know, that I'm able to get certain jobs. The last job I got was editing on a comedic reality show. And then this job that I'm starting on Tuesday is editing a comedic reality show. So it it is a groove where I could stay pretty consistently employed to be totally a transparent it's like sometimes show running it's it's not as easy to stay consistently employed and that's true with a lot of showrunners because any show has one showrunner and uh seven or eight editors so the numbers are just better for editing so yeah, i don't know is- if that yeah, no, that, that was very, very helpful. And I want to dig okay. into it a little bit deeper. One thing I want to clarify, especially for those that spend a lot of time in the scripted world, is in the unscripted world, it's a pretty common path to go from editor to showrunner. Not everybody does it, but it's yeah. not an uncommon path. And a lot of showrunners in unscripted have experience editing. In scripted, I have never met a showrunner that even knows how to turn on an avid. Right. It's a totally different world because the path for showrunner and scripted is writing. So talk a little bit more about how you're able to bounce back and forth. Because to anybody that's only lived in scripted, it's like, how can you be an editor and a showrunner that doesn't even make sense? Right. Well, um, it's just, again, it goes back to, do, do, you know, if you accumulate enough jobs and you could build a resume that looks good on its own at, in each, uh, each position, then you should be okay. And that's um, and that's what I try to do is just like I, like I literally could hand you my uh, showrunner resume and it looks like a complete resume with with not too many gaps, but with, in in editing I could do the same thing. So that that's sort of the way I've designed it. But also I found that um, showrunning, and I don't know if people are interested in this part of it, but sh- sh- you know showrunning when you're just hired as a showrunner, you're really at the behest of a lot of people that may have a different idea of the show because sometimes you're brought in at the 11th hour or something. To me, lately, I've been focusing more on creating shows and then I'm automatically the showrunner. So I have a show right now that we've partnered with Forbes magazine on and we're going to be going out with that. But that's, uh, that's, that's the direction I'm taking is like, I'm happy to do my editing jobs. And then if I want a show run, I just have to create the show. So that's a lot of writing. So yeah, I work a lot. I mean, I'm not doing anything on 4th of July. 
<laughs> Work. Uh, but uh, f- from my understanding, at least from my recollection, no family, correct? Like no kids to worry about Fourth of July and all that stuff. Well, I have kids. I just they're they're a bit older. So well, that's what I mean. Like you you don't have kids. I don't at have home, to deal with them. Right? No, like, I don't you're have not, kids. You're not at home. you're not doing elementary school pool parties anymore. Nope. Right. So the, the that phase is over and you have more time to be able to focus on the things that you want to do. Yeah, that uh, is a, a true blessing. Yeah, sure. Uh, so that. talking about this idea of the two resumes, which, by the way, is an aside, shameless plug, have seen both of them because we workshop both of them during a multitude of hot seats during office hours. Um, but it doesn't really matter which one we direct this towards editing or show running. If I were to look at those resumes or I were to look at IMDb Pro or I were to do a little bit of Internet sleuthing, mm-hmm. I know almost every job that you have said yes to. How many no's are on that resume that I don't see? Well, there, there are stuff, there's stuff that I said yes to and then took off the resume because it really wasn't because uh, it doesn't help me get other jobs. Like if you do a great pilot, I mean, I remember I did this amazing pilot for Nickelodeon and they took me out to dinner afterwards and I was the hero because I made this amazing pilot and it didn't go to series for whatever reason. And so that doesn't show up on my resume. But so some of my best work isn't on my resume. What I say no to, not a ton. I mean, lately more, but I actually here, this is another example of I have more questions than answers. And that is, um, I have seen uh, first episodes of shows that I thought I would really like to not do this show. And that I'm trying to figure out how to get out of, because really that is the crux of when you have meetings and everything seems cool and it seems like a great idea or a great show. And then you watch the, uh, a little bit of what they've done and it just, you just know it's not going to really be a successful. That's something I'm trying to figure out how to get, how to back out of. So, and to clarify, you, know, you mean shows that you're on the team already? If I, if I am editing on a show, sometimes I'll see the first episode or, or, or a work in progress. And you could tell a lot if you've been in the business while you could tell a lot from a work in progress. I mean, when you jumped on your current show, it's like you already watched a season of it and it was clear it was going to be in your mind, a bigger success and with your help, a bigger success. But I've seen stuff where it's like, no, there's nothing I could do to help this. Even after, if I saw dirty pilot, which is a a pilot, that's like 10 or 12 minutes, it's not a full pilot. um, I could say, I don't want to edit this, but I'd have to see something first. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. Uh, it's a tough one knowing that you've already committed to the team yes. and you're already adding another episode. You mean not? It's a tough one to say no to if I haven't been hired. Yeah, and and that's and that's to me the definitive sort of way you say yes or no to something is you get a taste for what they've done, not in the past, but how does it? How does the? How does it look currently? Mm-hmm. All right. Then, so I'm, we're going to workshop this for a couple of minutes. Okay. Um, I'm curious for anybody else that's here, you can either raise your digital hand, uh, you can turn on your camera and raise your hand, or you can uh, let me know in the chat. How many people here have worked on a show that you committed to not really knowing what it was? And once you got a sense of what the show was, you're like, how did I end up here and how do I get out of it? Has anybody else had this experience? I'm curious how common this is. All the time, Rachel. Ryan yeah, I'm does. seeing. I'm seeing it all the time. I'm seeing another wow. hand. Um, let me put it to the uh, the group here for a second because I realize I'm in speaker view one more time. Well, actually, everybody's got their camera off because they're all being shy. Um, but oh, it sounds it, like yeah, why, why we. we I've at least seen a hand in it all the time, and uh, Sam doesn't realize it. Uh, but in her uh, her uh, little avatar, it looks like she's raising her hand. So I'm going to take that one. Um, I would say that. 
Uh, I haven't been in the the unscripted world. I have a feeling this is something that's pretty common in the unscripted world because you have such large teams and things are going so fast and you don't really see what it is. I would guess it's a little bit less common in scripted, but I could be yeah. wrong. I'm totally making a, a judgment. I'm well, trying to you think have of a my script that you could well, analyze. You do have a script, so you have a better sense. And this is where I do think it's easier to judge something on paper even before yeah. it's shot. But I have I've been on at least one, if not more, projects that I won't name where I read the script. And I said, oh, my God, like, this is going to be amazing. And yeah. then knowing the words were exactly the same on the page, the story was exactly the same. I saw what they shot, and it's like, this is unwatchable. Right. I don't want to have anything to do with this. So there's only so much that happens on the page, and I believe that it all starts on the page. And if you don't have an amazing script with compelling characters and the right motivations and a great plot and everything else, it doesn't matter how well you shoot it or how well you edit it. You have to have a great story first. But just having it be great on paper doesn't mean it can be executed correctly. Um, but I haven't had this more than maybe once or twice and never it's never happened to me to the point and eh, once I won't name the show but now the more I think about it I'm like yeah I know what show this is it's the same experience as you where after seeing the pilot which I wasn't working on I was like oh boy I'm gonna be doing four episodes of this yeah um so I guess I can kind of relate to it so in this instance let's use whatever this example is because I'm guessing other people listening have experienced it what are the fears of you saying, you know what? I've decided I'm gonna bow out and I'm gonna go a different direction. Oh, that's that's very clear to me. Um, first of all, first season shows in my world are very difficult. There's a lot of editing and re-editing and figuring it out. Second season shows, it's much, much easier. You have not just one boilerplate, which is the pilot, but you have a full season of them. And so you really know exactly what the show is and you just rinse and repeat, right? Um, so that's so. If you're on a first season show and you already know it's going to be a lot, a lot of work, and it's not going to be fun um, because you may never get there, and the audience may never be into it. I mean, I've been on shows where it's just like we did a whole season. And it was like they didn't air it; they pulled the plug. And so you you get to the point, I think, in life in the business where you go, "This isn't going to work. People aren't going to like this." It's going to have a whole rehome. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those 
those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. I can definitely say that that's, it's very similar in Scripted, which again may not seem like it at first glance, um, but the first season of Scripted shows is absolute chaos. Every yeah. single first season show I've ever been on, I always ask the same question. Why are we trying to reinvent the wheel? Right. People have been making television for decades. It doesn't have to be this hard. The problem is you have so many individuals that have to learn how to become a team. It's the difference between we've been an athletic team, like a football team for the last 40 years, yeah. and you're bringing people in and out, but there's still a culture and there's still a way they run things and you're you know, bringing in the right individuals versus you have an expansion team where every single person is coming from another organization with other beliefs about how we do things and workflows, and the first season is just a show. So I had, I've made it a point in my career for years, and now, it's, I mean, it's very clear, um, I just don't work on first season shows anymore, because I went through three wow. or four of them, and they just about destroyed me. Yeah. And that's why, when I saw Cobra Kai, and I found it right after the beginning of season one, I'm like, this is the, th this is the one. Because I can already see they can execute it's an amazing show. It's perfect for me, but I don't have to reinvent the wheel and figure out what the show is. Mm -hmm. So that's why I came in at the beginning of season two. Is there a part of me that wishes I could say just to be able to say it? Yeah, I worked on the whole show even season one because it always just bugs me a little bit when people say, oh, you work on Cobra Kai. That's awesome. Season one is my favorite. Yeah, no didn't work on that one, but thanks. <laughs> um, but that's just ego. I'm there, there's a big part of me that's actually kind of glad I wasn't a part of season one because I heard about how chaotic it was and how little work-life balance there was, and it was a real challenge. A lot of that was worked out season one. The rest of it was worked out season two. Now it's a well-oiled machine with a formula. So whatever happens in Unscripted, I can assure you it's very similar in the scripted world. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm again, I, I, I want to ask more questions and answer things, but uh, to me, it's like what I find interesting is that the the magic sauce in a lot of shows is the acting is the is the personality of the people the actors and so when you see these people and you're like that's it that guy's a star or that guy is read you know is acting those words in such a way that everybody's going to want to see it that's the that's the part of filmmaking that I still find magical I'm literally magic like I I watch a person and I go he's exploding off the screen he or she and she and just super appealing. And then you cut to another person. You're like, they're not, they're not very good. And that, that, that's, to me, as far as editing, that's the hardest part is when you see the magic and you see the non-magical non person and you have to cut to that person or you have to incorporate that person into a scene. I, I literally just on the last show I worked on, I did a lot of off-screen stuff with this guy who just every, everything they said was, felt like bullshit. So like I would have like some reason not to cut to them. And their audio is also tough, but I would make that work. But if you saw them on the screen, it would suck the air out of the screen. It, would, it wouldn't work. Which, again, I would argue requires a lot of nuance, even in scripted, to be able to manage all of that. 
But yeah, I mean, I am dealing with unprofessional actors, and and you're dealing with all professionals. But yeah, but they're I not the term professional. Great, yeah. I would use the term professional loosely in a lot of cases. You'd <laughs> well, be very surprised. <laughs> uh, but again, that's another uh, another tangent that we could go yeah. down that I don't want to go down too much. But there's one other area going back to what we talked about before. I want to dig into a little bit more before we uh, go to the audience here. Yeah. Um, and that was when I'd asked you the question: How many no's are on your resume that we don't see? And you said there weren't a lot. And my my hypothesis has been, and I've talked to literally hundreds of people about their career paths, and by and large, almost universally, everybody that is working where they want to be, that is fulfilled by their work, got there because they had just as many or even more no's than yes. yeses. And that doesn't seem to be the case with you. So I'm curious, how is it that you ended up having a resume full of things that for the most part, you really wanted to be doing without having to say no that much? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that like, to me, like when I hear you talk about somebody who has a lot of opportunities to say no, I just think that there's almost no way for them not to have a better career. And uh, I think I've struggled a bit. And I think it's been, there's been times when I've spent a good five or six months on a show that I, that I wish I'd said no to. So um, I don't know. I, I think that like, had I met Zach Arnold, you know, 10 years ago, I probably would have crafted a life where I could say no more. So I don't want to say anything more to that question other than it's imperative that you are able to say no, even though I have gotten lucky or I, my career isn't awful. It, I think it would be my life and career would be way, way better if I was able to say no. And I'm not saying that as like, I wish I knew now what I knew then. I'm saying, you know what I mean? Because like sometimes you take a show and you you would have said yes to it whether, no matter what. Uh, I'm saying like, if you really look back and say, I absolutely at the time knew it wasn't going to be the best move, but I did it because I have kids or, or I need to pay the bills. I, I, if there's one piece of advice I could give any editor or anybody in the business is money, money management. Like just put away half of what you uh, make. And and do whatever you can so you have the power to take a break or say no. Absolutely. Here, here. This is the point at which I hit the button where we get an amen from the chorus. Um, the only reason this coaching program even exists, the reason there are self-guided courses, the reason there's a podcast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is because of my money management. Because yeah. I was in a place years ago where I said, I've got these job offers. I don't really want to do them. Do I need the money? No, I would like to take the next four months and work on a documentary or take the next four months and learn WordPress so I can build a really crappy website called Fitness and Post. Yeah. Or I want to be able to take a year off and I want to be able to build a coaching program. Whatever it is, fill in the blank for the person that's here today or listening, whatever that thing might be, whether it's developing or honing skills or reading, you know, the Lord of the Rings all the, the whole series, whatever it might be, the only way you ever have the freedom to say no is if financially you afford yourself the room to do it. And like you, I've essentially built a lifestyle such that whatever I'm making doing my core job, which used to be editing, now my core source of income is actually this program in this community. Right. But before that, it was obviously editing for two decades. My lifestyle must be such that I can take half of my paycheck and put it away, which means that for every week that I work, I get two weeks of freedom. Right. Right. So that yeah. freedom is what's allowed me to be able to say no to the wrong things. And if I were to look at my resume of no's, um, there are some on there that like people would just be like, are you insane? Like, no, because it wasn't the right fit for me. 
for some people, for many, even myself 10 years ago, life changing, career changing opportunities that I didn't even take the interview, but I either knew the people or the lifestyle or whatever it was just wasn't in alignment. Now I'm in a position where I can very comfortably, very politely decline but a lot of that is because of money management. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And that's yeah. a whole other wing of the Optimize Yourself program that uh, we will be building out eventually. If I could hit the download button, that would be great. Um, but it's such a core part of being able to build a fulfilling career path is saying no and having the freedom to, to do that financially, um, which not everybody you know is, is afforded the ability to do because of kids or whatever. And um, like I've said a million times- It's more I'm of a never, mindset, right? Oh, it's more it? of a mindset, yes, but there are also a lot of very specific practical circumstances that I yeah, think yeah. are legitimate obstacles beyond just, well, you just need the mindset. Um, the earlier the earlier you figure it out, the better. Um, yeah. if, if, if we were to say to somebody that's been working in the business for 25 years with three kids, well, you know, just figure it out. It's a money management mindset. Yeah, yeah. They're so entrenched and deep into mortgages and car payments and preschool. Like you, you can't math your way out of that overnight. But you can build it if you know that those things are important at 25 instead of 45. Yes. And just to put a fine point on it, I think we're kind of born with this knowledge that there are cool things to own. My son, who's 14, was just like, hey, dad, I, um, what's your favorite car? Like, what's your dream car? What do you want? And that, I, that question to me was like something I, I, I would have answered far differently 20 years ago. And I said, it's, I want a car that gets me from point A to point B and is somewhat comfortable and reliable. But if you, at, but if you showed me a picture of a Ferrari and I said, Ooh, that's cool. I would also know that the cost of that Ferrari is I have to say yes to a lot more jobs and a lot of things I don't really want to do. And so the cost of that Ferrari is far, far too high. And that's including the actual price tag of hundred thousand, but you, or whatever it is, but it's, it's just way, way too high. So if there's, I, we don't have to talk any more about it, but I, but I think that's so critical that people follow your advice on that. Yeah. So and uh, I'll just put a like I'll put a fine point on your finer fine point. point. I feel I yes a finer point. See, you're the writer. You're writing me. I love it. <laughs> uh, a finer point on your fine point. Yeah. Um, when it when it does come to something that's very material in nature, like a car or whatever, and especially in Hollywood, people are always showing off their stuff and like, oh man, check you know check out this Maserati I got. All I see is a giant car payment. That's it. Yeah. Like, I'm glad you're enjoying that. I see a gigantic car payment and me not sleeping at night. Not worth it. Not worth it. Right. So I, I can totally agree with that. So I have one more question that I'm hoping will kind of wrap up everything we're talking about. And in the meantime, I want to warm everybody up that's here in the group with us. This is now the time to start putting some ideas in the chat about what you would like to talk about next and who wants to bring up a question or two. Um, but we've been using this term specialized generalist. And as you had alluded to, that comes from the world of Tim Ferriss. Yeah. How do you, not what you remember of what he's written, how do you define what a specialized generalist is? Well, let's, let's, that's really interesting. Let's look at it from the point of view of the people who are going to hire you. They're looking at your resume and saying, is it specific enough to this, to this genre? Like if it's comedy, we do know that if a person's only done scripted comedy, that they're specific, but they won't work for unscripted comedy. But if it's both a mixture, then I could say, well, this person has a good level of experience in comedy. 
unscripted and scripted. So you're a generalist in that you are a creative person who works in in this area of comedy. Like, let's say if you're uh, up for a job working with Tim and Eric, there, you, do you have any experience in the world of absurdist comedy? And do you know how to use the avid? And do you know how to how to operate these machines and work uh, uh, um, efficiently, effectively? Sorry. So. I think it just comes down to other people's point of view of what you can do. Obviously, you have your point of view, but if you're trying to sell somebody, how do you sell them on, I have the specific skill set for your show, and also I'm general enough that I, I bring a lot to the table. So that and, that and that's what's interesting about that and what Tim Ferriss talks about is that specialization, I think is for insects was his expression that he uses, but like that that's changing, that's evolving. People are looking at people with multiple skill sets and seeing the value in that. And that didn't used to be the case. So going back to Tim and Eric, a lot of the people that work, and I've studied this, a lot of people who work with them, they have some musical background and they edit and they know how to use multiple uh, apps like Photoshop and, and After Effects, but they also do some writing. So they so so a lot of people, and you could really find the facts here, do like this umbrella that includes this world. So you have to kind of find that each time. But there's nothing wrong with being a generalist enough to say, I do multiple things, like I'm a composer and an editor, which maybe 50 to 30 years ago would be like, ah, that's not, that's weird, but not anymore. Does that yeah, make sense? I, do you agree? It, it, it does make sense. And what I want to uh, add on to that is the idea that I think that we, in some ways, have skewed so far towards generalization where it's comical in certain respects. I'm sure you've seen the job listings where it says seeking editor, must oh. know how to compose, do sound design, graphics, do all of our visual effects, compositing, et cetera. It's, it's, we pay 12, 15 hours. And you're like, are you kidding me? It's not hyperbole. Those things literally exist. And that's where being a generalist has gone too far. But I agree that there's a world where if you're a specialist and the only thing you can do is you fit in, I think if you were to go back 20, 30 years specifically for editors and scripted, the only thing I do as a picture editor is I edit dialogue. Somebody else does all my sound effects. Somebody else cuts in all of my music. The only thing that I do is picture and dialogue because that's the technology before we went digital. You only had four tracks. Maybe right. you only had two tracks. So right. that's what you did for a living. But I think nowadays you come at it with that attitude. Like if I were to say, well, according to the Editor's Guild guidelines and the way that the position of picture editor is defined, when yeah. I hand you the first editor's cut of this episode of television, it will only be a string out of all of the dialogue. <laughs> How long do you think I'm going to have my job? You're I'm not. not they expect me. Anything. They yeah. expect me to be a generalist in the sense that I can do picture, I can do sound beds, I can do some basic visual effects and compositing. I can definitely do music and score, if, at least if temp, right? So yep. that to me is being a generalist. But then the specialization part is what is the one thing that I am really good at? Why are you hiring me? Because there are all kinds of editors that have all of the same skills that I do. But there are very few that can do this one thing. What is that? And that's what I feel you sell yourself for, right? Yeah. I'm good at editing temp music and sound and whatever, and my assistant can yeah. be very helpful in coordinating all that. But there are certain things about my craft that are things that I bring to it that I can't even explain where people say, it's just this thing that you have. Yeah. I couldn't tell you how to do it. It's the yep. same with being a writer. You just have this thing. That to me is the specialist part of the generalist. Yeah, I mean, and, and exactly. And I think that if you look at you, Zach, being 
somebody who understands physicality, who understands editing, obviously, who understands organization, who could use Trello better than most people on the planet. That's really exciting for people. And so I would say that to me, the perfect way to be in 2022 and probably beyond is, are you good at money management? Are you good at learning new apps and new techniques? And uh, possibly above anything else, are you able to focus? Yeah, because there's that focus is, a dying is the, art. it's the meta skill of the 21st century, totally yeah. blatantly stealing that from Cal Newport. There's I no question, yeah. no question that in the world we have right now, focus is the superpower that is going to superpower. be the difference between success and failure in the 21st century. No question, which is why it's now a skill that I teach. Thank you so much for listening to this sneak preview of the latest mastermind Q&A call with my optimizer coaching and mentorship students. If you want to listen to this entire 90 plus minute call or the many other calls that we've had just like this one in the past, or more importantly, if you would love to be a future optimizer, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash optimizer to get your name on the wait list so you are the first to hear when coaching enrollment opens again. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well.